You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, August the 15th in the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And as is our custom on Mondays, we take a look at a lesson for the following Sunday, which is the 11th Sunday after Pentecost, August the 21st. And the readings are from Isaiah 66, Hebrews 12, and Luke 13. We're going to examine Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews is a wonderful Bible book to know the distinctions between law and gospel. And in this particular passage, God is talking about that when we are in the world of Satan, which is the earth, we end up with great suffering. And so verse 4, chapter 12 of Hebrews begins, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now, that's what the apostles happened to them. They resisted the world, and all of them except for John, who died naturally on the island of Patmos, were martyred. They shed their blood for Jesus Christ. And verse 5 then says, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Now, the term sons there would include anyone who is a believer, male, female, adults, children, Gentiles, slave, etc. And here is what God says. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Now, boy, that sounds very strange. That goes against every other religion in the world. Because when bad things happen, when people are reproved by God, they believe that that's a negative thing from God, and they better start doing good works to offset that reproval. But that's not how Christianity regards being reproved by God. The very next verse, verse 6, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. See, this is a totally different attitude on the part of a Christian because the discipline of the Lord is not a negative item. It may feel like a negative item, but it is a positive item. It's kind of like in the physical realm. If you put your hand on a stove that has been turned on, you will quickly remove it because of the pain that you will feel from the heat. However, there are people who do not have feeling in their hands. That's why lepers end up with a number of hurting things in their hands and their feet 
because they have lost feeling there. So pain is a gift from God, and that pain helps to warn you of not being hurt more. So the Lord disciplines us in the ethical realm. Every time you sin, there will be a negative consequence. But that negative consequence is actually a blessing from God. In fact, the worst negative consequence that you can receive is that which happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. Because the Bible says that those in Sodom and Gomorrah what they once thought was true, they now think was false. And when they once, what they once thought was false, they now think is true. If that isn't the characterization of the United States for many people today, there are those who think the gay lifestyle is true, when of course it was thought to be false. There are those who once thought that it was wrong to murder a baby in the womb, but now many people think it's okay, calling it abortion, as though they can have a choice over their body, which is really not their body, but a natural human being. So the worst punishment God gives you is to take away the negative consequences of your sin. So what you once thought was wrong, you now think is right. But God still is one who loves you and therefore still will bring consequences. Many women who have an abortion, they later regret it greatly. And that's where the church can come in to help them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. Now, what happens in the book of Hebrews is the writer now gives an example. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline. If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So you have parents who do not discipline their children when they do wrong. And they'll give the excuse, well, I don't want to get on the wrong side of my child. He's going to hate me if I discipline him. So they don't discipline him, and they forget that therefore they're not treating him as a son, but as an illegitimate child. Verse 9, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live. For those earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. 
but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. What does that mean? You see, when you do a sin and God brings a negative consequence to you, it reminds you that you are going against the will of God. It also reminds you that there is nothing you can do to offset that sin. There are not enough good works that you are enabled to do to take care of that sin, to pay for that sin. For example, in the civil realm, if you rob a bank, you may get 10 years in jail. And after those 10 years, you've kind of paid your debt to society and are free to go. But there is no amount of time or no amount of works that you are enabled to do to offset your sin. Because many of your works don't have the proper motivation. For an unbeliever, they never have the proper motivation, which is love for Jesus Christ. So, we are subject to the Father of spirits. That's God the Father, and they live. Because he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. You see, you tell the law to individuals, namely, when you sin, you will have negative consequences, which reminds them that they are not holy in God's sight. And so through the power of the Holy Spirit, when they come to faith in Jesus Christ, then guess what? Like Abraham was, who believed the promise of having a baby named Isaac when he was 100 years old and Sarah was 75, he was declared righteous by God. So also you are righteous in God's sight, not by your works, but through faith in Jesus Christ which it itself is a gift from the Holy Spirit. So, God does discipline us. Remember, the word discipline is very close to the word being discipled. Every child that is born needs to be taught the proper way of life because they sin immediately. And therefore, that is what a good parent does. A good parent disciplines the child out of love, like the Heavenly Father disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness through faith. Now, verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Take a look at the disciples. They were disciplined by Jesus. Peter remarked when Jesus said he was going to Jerusalem to die, no, no, we'll take care of you. Get me behind me, Satan. Peter learned through discipline 
that he needed to believe Jesus. Remember when they were on the boat and it was sinking because of the rough seas and Jesus stood up and they said to him, don't you care that we are perishing? And he stood up and told the sea to be quiet. And it was. And they were amazed, wondering who is this person that has control? Well, they soon learned that when he rose from the dead, they believed he not only was a redeemer and savior, but as Thomas said, my Lord and my God. They believed he was God himself. So at times when we are disciplined, either by parents or by God, it does seem painful. It's not pleasant. But later it can yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So now the writer to the Hebrews encourages his readers in verse 12 of chapter 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. In our study of the book of Proverbs, we learned about the two paths. The paths of the righteous is that narrow path, believing in Jesus. The paths of the foolish is that wide path that all other religions follow, where they think that they can outwit God by their works and be saved. No, what the writer to the Hebrews tells you in verse 14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now, that verse 14 is probably one of the most important verses in this passage because it says, unless you have the holiness which God is looking for, you will never see the Lord. That's what Jesus was talking to Martha about, that in the day that you die, you will not really die because you are considered holy through faith in Jesus Christ and are taken to heaven. And therefore you will see the Lord. Whereas those who do not believe in Jesus Christ are not considered holy by God, are not regarded by God as holy. And that holiness, which is God's righteousness, is given as a gift to you through faith in Jesus Christ. See to it, verse 15 says, that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. 
he was really hungry and he asked for food and he said, I'll give you my birthright if you give me food. And that's what he sold. In verse 17, for you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. You see, once he sold that birthright to his brother, and his brother, through the mother, disguised himself as Esau and received the blessing that Esau should have received from the father. Well, Esau had no chance to repent of what he had done. See, there's a negative consequence to your sin. You do not sell your birthright for a single meal. Verse 18, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. Now, what does that remind you of? It reminds you of the people who were saved by God, being rescued from Egypt through the Red Sea, and they came to Mount Sinai. But they were very frightened because of the blazing fire, the darkness, the gloom, the tempest, the sound of a trumpet, and a voice whose words made the heavens hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. They, it says, could not endure the order that was given. And what was one of the orders? If even a beast touches the mountains, it shall be stoned. In fact, Mount Sinai was so terrifying that verse 21 speaks of Moses' attitude. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. So that's the mount that unbelievers will be going to on the day of judgment, a mount from which they will tremble with fear because they have no faith in Jesus Christ. That's why the task of the church is to share that wonderful message of the gospel with the whole world so many will come to faith in Jesus. And therefore, the discipline they experience will be regarded as a good thing from God to help them be restored to the holiness which God desires them to have as he declares it to those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Well, if the unbelievers end up going to Mount Sinai with trembling and fear, where, the, where do the believers go? Verse 22 of Hebrews 12. But you have come 
to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. See, that's the wonderful comfort that the Christian receives at the death of a loved one who is a believer in Jesus Christ, that they are enrolled in heaven. When did you get enrolled in heaven? You got enrolled in heaven either when you read the Bible passages that speak of the crucifixion of Jesus and how he paid for your sins, and you believe that. That's the gospel. Or when you were baptized, even as an infant, and the Holy Spirit gave the infant not only the forgiveness of sins, but also the gift of the Holy Spirit. So even an infant has the ability to believe. That is clear from an infant who was not yet born. That was John the Baptist. Mary, after the message from Gabriel, that she would conceive and bear the Son of God, went to visit Elizabeth. Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptizer within her at six months. Jesus was within the womb of Mary for just a few hours because the trip from where Mary left to get to Elizabeth was not long. And what happened when Mary entered the room with Jesus in her womb? John the baptizer leaped in the womb for joy. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. That was a promise that Gabriel had given to his father, that he would be within the womb filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's what John the baptizer did. He leaped in the womb for joy. And so we also will leap in the womb of heaven for joy in the sense that we will be part of the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. What is the assembly? The word assembly can also be translated as the church. The church of the firstborn who is Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. You are part of that holy church. You are part of the assembly of the firstborn. You are enrolled in heaven. And therefore, you will come to the city of the living God. See, that's the promise that God made to Abraham. Yes, he did give him the forgiveness of sins, but the forgiveness of sins was actually a means to get to the new city. The new city is the city of Jerusalem. And it's pretty good and well described in the book of Revelation, where this new Jerusalem built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles 
with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. And you are part of that new city, the new Jerusalem, the new Mount Sinai. Zion, not Sinai. Sinai is where hell is. Zion is where heaven is. And therefore, you are not only enrolled in heaven, but you see God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. The righteous are made perfect through faith in Jesus Christ. Just as Jesus was made a sinner through the baptism of John the baptizer, Jesus was not really a sinner, but God declared him to be sin in order to die on the cross for you and me. So also, you are not really sinless, but God declares you to be sinless and righteous and made perfect. And therefore, you see not only the angels, you see not only the righteous made perfect, but you also see verse 24, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Because the blood of Abel did cry out to God after he was murdered by Cain, but it was a cry from just Abel. Whereas the blood of Jesus cries out to God as the salvation of every person who believes in Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's what it means that Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. The covenant under Moses was obedience to the law. Nobody could keep that covenant. So even in the Old Testament, God made promises to Adam and Eve, to Abraham, to David, and to many others that a new covenant would occur that was an agreement from God to you that all who believe and are baptized shall be saved. A wonderful passage from Hebrews 12 to tell us about how you will have heaven as your home. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel with Mark Smith, we'll examine the hymn, A Multitude Comes from the East and the West, and explain it from a law and gospel point of view. I'm Tom Baker. Till tomorrow, God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check out to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132 or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod.
If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.